Hey, go ahead and take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. What a glorious day for us to be able to come and to celebrate Father's Day. I, I don't know about you, but my day has already begun very, very good. Why? Because this morning, even though Leslie was gone and Abigail, because don't forget that we have our youth who are down in Puerto Rico. We got 40 plus people we want to pray for this week. Even though they were gone, my other three came through for me. I think they had had a little bit of preparation from their mother beforehand. But they came and I got a whole thing of Reese's this morning. So I know what I'm going to be doing tonight when we're not having church here or so. I'm just going to be sitting in my chair, enjoying my children, and enjoying my Reese's. Not with the children, because those are mine, but I'm going to enjoy <laughs> my Reese's tonight. I hope that you've had a good day already, and what a wonderful time it is for us to celebrate family. What a, what a great opportunity for us to celebrate fathers, especially those who have invested in us, but not just earthly fathers those spiritual fathers. And I want to point out that today, how God has called us to live in community of relationships and how he has called us to invest within one another from older generation to younger generation, from younger generation to older generation, that we interact in such a way that God will further our pursuit of him, that somehow we will grow in our holiness, we will grow in our maturity because we have different generations rubbing lives together, rubbing souls together for the kingdom's good. Acts chapter 16. Now, I know some of you all who were here a couple of weeks ago said, this is the message that Jacob preached, or at least this is the text that Jacob Ambrose preached. And some of you are probably thinking, I'll listen to the message, and obviously it wasn't good enough, so now I'm going back and covering these <laughs> verses. But that is not the case. I actually talked to Jacob this morning. I said, hey, man, I said, I've been working on my message, looking toward Sunday, and I was trying to see what you preached, and he, he gave me his notes. He sent them to me electronically, which is great, because next time I preach this, I'll have his notes to be able to kind of work through. You'll forget his message by then, because I know you all. You forget a message after about a week. But uh, what am I kidding myself? By two this afternoon, you'll be already have put it aside. But anyway... He, he touched on an issue here, but I want to dig down much deeper. And that is in this special relationship that you see formed in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Because here you see the apostle, Paul himself, becoming what I think is like a father. He becomes a spiritual father to a man named Timothy. And I want to kind of dig down into that relationship and maybe challenge you and challenge myself in the relationships that we have. Acts chapter 16 begins in verse 1. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. Behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. The scripture says that as 
Paul is out on his journey. Remember, this is what we call the second missionary journey. That as he is going through the region, he meets a young man that people are just raving about. People are talking about this guy named Timothy. Timothy, who had been led to the Lord, as we're told, by his grandmother and his mother, who had been nurtured in the faith and who had come ultimately to a saving relationship in Jesus. This Timothy that would become what Paul would refer to as his true son in the faith. This Timothy, who Paul would refer to as my beloved, my beloved son. Sometimes he would just say, my son. A relationship that was built between Paul and Timothy. I want to point this out before we get too much farther in this message. I I just want to show you this. Isn't it amazing how God begins relationships and builds relationships without us even ever intentionally necessarily thinking about it? Like Paul Paul didn't know that when he was going on this second missionary journey, he was about to meet a young man that would become like a son to him. I'm convinced of that. I, I believe that Paul had no idea that he was going to run into a guy named Timothy and that he and Timothy would have such a relationship for all those years. I'm convinced of that. And isn't it like that in our lives? How God allows other individuals to intersect our lives for us to get to know and for us to get to build relationships with? Think about it. If God had not placed you in the family that he placed you in, you would never know the relationships of that family. If God had not placed you in that geographical territory where you would go to elementary school and maybe into middle school and high school, you would never have had those relationships that you had. If God had not directed you toward the university or the college where you attended or where you attend now, you would never know those relationships and those people. And how about the workplace? How God puts you in a workplace so that he can put those individuals, divinely point them toward you so that you can have those relationships. I, I don't know about you. Maybe, hey, I know I've crossed the 40 line now, and I get, I get a little bit nostalgic when I think about these things. <laughs> but I am more and more convinced every day that the sovereign hand of God is at work in our lives to put people right there so that we can make a difference and so that they can make a difference in who we are, the relationships. I mean, I look back and I see now, like some of the people God gave me relationships with in elementary school and middle school and high school and college, some people I still talk to today, I mean, Individuals from my first church to the church in Picayune to the church in Zachary to Temple. If God had not brought me here, listen, I wouldn't even get to know most of you. A couple of you probably. I would have seen the warrants out for your arrest. But the rest of you, I would not have even known who you were. I wouldn't have known it. But God in his sovereignty, God in his plan said, I want to put you right here so that you can build a relationship with these individuals. So you can be a part of this community of faith so that you can have people that will invest in you and you will invest in them. God is at work 
And God, yes, was at work to spread the gospel, the good news, but what God was going to do was use Paul as the discipler in Timothy's life. And God built this relationship, and he put them together. Let, let me just point out a few things here. That is first. There is a need, especially a need for intergenerational investment. Intergenerational investment. Now, when I read this scripture, I recognize that Paul is probably about 30 years older than Timothy. I've tried to do a little bit of the math. We don't know for sure, but I would say that he's around 30 years older than Timothy. Timothy's coming to faith. He's a new believer in Christ. He's a young man, probably maybe even about 20, when he comes across Paul's path. And Paul, as this 30-year-old senior of Timothy, looks at Timothy and he says, Hey, I want you to go with me. I want you to go on this mission with me. I want you to obviously be a part of my life and a part of this work. Just reminds me that there are places, there are moments where God calls us to invest in others and also to be invested in. And oh, how blessed it is to have older ones investing in younger ones and younger ones who in turn are investing in older ones. I believe you see it throughout the scripture. I believe you see these kind of father-son relationships and again, not trying to in some way um, forget our mothers and daughters or the wives' influence, the mothers' influence, the woman's influence, because they have great influences as we've seen in Timothy's life, but especially today in Father's Day to talk about the influences of a spiritual father in the life of a spiritual son. Think about Jethro and Moses. Think about Moses and Joshua. Think about Elijah and Elisha. Think about even more recent in our studies how Barnabas became like that to John Mark, his cousin, and now to Paul and Timothy. And while it may not have been a generational exchange, think about how Jesus himself invested in others. How he called those disciples to follow him and he was going to invest in them. There needs to be in, an intergenerational investment that we have in our lives. And let me just say this. We need people to invest within us. Let me, let me say this specifically to those who are younger, who are here, and those who are there in the gathering. You need older men and older women investing in your lives. Now, thanks be to God that we have had fathers and mothers and others in our family who have done that, and God ordains that and utilizes that. But we need more than that. Look, some of us, I recognize this, and I hate to even bring this up on Father's Day when we're trying to think of all the good things, but look, some of us may be like Timothy. I hate to tell you, but Timothy is probably not the one that I'm going to point toward as having a great spiritual father. He's probably not the one that I would bring as a subject of a message on Father's Day, except I did today, right? He's the one that I would usually bring uh, some type of message about 
as it relates to Mother's Day. Because as said, his mother and his grandmother really nurtured the faith. Here in this scripture, it says that his dad was a Greek. And I believe the way this is spoken to us is that his dad was outside the faith. Was outside the faith of Yahweh, outside the faith of Jesus. I'm convinced as I read the scripture that his dad was probably a pagan. He probably had ascribed to all types of philosophies and education of the Greeks. You don't think Timothy needed somebody? I hate to tell you this, but there are a lot of people today whose fathers are either physically absent or they're emotionally absent. And they need some Pauls to step up in their lives. They need some spiritual fathers to come alongside and say, hey, let me, let me walk with you in this. People who would be willing to invest. Unfortunately, our culture has fathers who have just decided to check out from their family. But let me say this. Some of us in this place, we've had great fathers, wonderful fathers, fathers who helped us and taught us and just worked with us as we were coming up. You know what? We still need other people to invest in us. Even those that would have the greatest father. You need other men and women to invest in your life. I, I'm going to say this, and man, this will help some of you dads. Do you know dads can't do everything? Now, I love it when the kids think we can, but we can't. We cannot provide every type of spiritual need that they have. Certainly only God can do that. I know that. But we can come and we can be the fathers leading our households and doing what we, but we still need, we need other men and women who will come alongside and who will supplement this effort. You and I as fathers, we don't have to be perfect. Because what God has done is he brings other generations alongside of us to help us and to see the growth in our lives. God meant for there to be a generational exchange of truth. How do I know that? I look at the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Paul will write and he'll speak to Titus, the pastor there at Crete, and he'll say something about how the older men should act and then how the older women should teach the younger women and how the younger men should also respond to the leadership of the pastor and the leadership of the spiritual leaders of that church. You ought to go look at it, Titus chapter 2. What Paul was saying is you need these different generations within the church's life so that you can mentor one another so that you can invest in one another so you make a difference. See, see, that's one of the reasons I love Temple Baptist Church. I got a whole lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that I, that I love this church is because we see the different generations. We see the different generations right here in our faith family. I can go to you and show you the more mature believers. I can go to you and show you the middle-aged believers. 
I can show you the younger believers. In faith and in age, I can show you those. And I love it. I love it. I love being able to look out, even in this crowd. I don't know if you noticed this, those of you who are in the sanctuary, that you noticed this in the choir and those around you, but there are a lot of younger people in here and there are a lot of older people in here. Some of you say, where I fit in. That's for you to decide. The preacher did not say one way or the other, so don't get mad at the preacher. Isn't it awesome that we have different generations? And we can be mentoring one another. We, we can actually fulfill what Paul said to Titus. I'm just going to say this. Man, I'm on a roll this morning. There are some churches that can't even fulfill what Paul said to Titus because they have skewed one generational to one generation either intentionally or unintentionally. If you go through North Louisiana and you go into some of our churches now, what will you find? You'll find nothing but a group of senior citizens. Now, don't get me wrong. I love senior citizens. I pastored a group of them when I first started. They were good to me. But shouldn't we have young people in our churches too? Oh, but just a moment. You can also go into certain churches and you'll see all young people and you'll not see one senior adult because of the decisions that they've made. And let me just say to you that that is not a healthy church either. A healthy church is a church that reflects every generation. It is multi-generational so that we can be investing in one another. The older who come and give wisdom, the younger who bring energy and excitement. We need churches that are filled with every age of believer. I thought I'd get an amen out of that. I think about in my own life how people who have invested in me through the years. Back in January, I celebrated 20 years of being ordained into the pastoral ministry. I had um, obviously served a little bit in the church beforehand. I was licensed to preach when I was 16. But the, at the age of 20, or 21 actually, I was ordained. And there's this little certificate that hangs in my office. And it's been moved a few times, obviously, from different churches. Because of that, you can see the scuff marks and everything else now. And uh, it was just written in pen when they filled it out. Because, I mean, it was 20 years ago. And, and uh, our church didn't have a whole lot, so we just used a pen. We didn't have all the nice little... We just filled it out... But, it's got blue ink and black ink. They didn't even use the same ink. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Some of you look at it and say, man, that's a cheap-looking thing probably. Man. When I look across the names on this, <clears throat> uh, and their names on the back too, one of these days I'm going to cut this 
That way I'll make Leslie buy me a new frame. And I'll cut this and just look at those on the back again. But I see John Dillard on here. He taught me elementary Sunday school. I stayed in his class past when I was supposed to. I didn't want to move up. He was such a good Bible teacher. I just stayed in there and sat and listened. We were a small church. You pretty much do what you want to do. I, I see Bub Epting, Mr. Bub, that would um, encourage me each week and who would ask me to lead singing on Baptist Men's Day when we celebrated it. I see Donnie Long, who taught me youth. I see uh, Jimmy Russell, one of the best evangelists, I think, in all of North, North Mississippi at the time, who came to my ordination and spoke a word into my life. I see um, Robert Jemison, which was one of my first deacons at Canaan Baptist Church. I see Brother Estes Perkle, who let me preach more than anybody else. When I was 16 years of age, I surrendered, and every time he left town, and he left town a lot, he let me come and preach for him at Locust Grove Baptist Church in New Albany, Mississippi. I see my uncle, my uncle Albert. He signed it because he's always been there for me. I see my dad's name here because my dad had been ordained a deacon just a little bit before I was ordained in the, to the pastoral ministry. Oh, there's so many others. There's Dr. Meeks, and I'll talk more about him in a moment, my professor at Blue Mountain. I look at that and I'm reminded of all the people who invested in me. Now, you may not have something like this hanging in your house, but you know if you went and you started making a list of some of these people, you would have some of the, those names that invested in you as well. People who taught you in Sunday school, people who took a little extra time with you in maybe music ministry or maybe other, some other type of ministry in the church or somebody that just showed some type of concern and care and love for you. People who have been there for you. I say that to say that's what Paul does with Timothy here. Paul says, I want you to come go with me. I want you to go. I kidded a moment ago about being 40 in. But you know, I, I was sharing with someone the other day how there are some things that are changing in my life. I've noticed this even since I've been at Temple. Is that for so many years, I've had people invest in me. And I still do. I still have people who call me and ask me how things are going and all of that kind of stuff, people who I still love, the relationships that are there. But I'm noticing I'm getting a little older. And now I'm having opportunity to pour out into other people. Maybe it's because we live in a university town, because there are the college students. But now I'm re recognizing I have some moments to actually invest in them. Some of you know on Wednesday nights, not during the summer, obviously, but during the school year on Wednesday nights after I finish the prayer meeting, I usually go back into the conference room at 7 o'clock and I meet with men and women who are thinking about some type of ministry. Not even those who say, hey, yeah, I'm going to do vocational ministry. Some of them may say, hey, I just want to be better trained as a layperson to do ministry in the church. So 
that on those Wednesday nights I get to go back and I get to share with them. Uh, I've shared with them things about doctrine and theology. Uh, I've also tried to show them how to develop a message or a Bible study. I come home on Wednesday night sometimes, and though it's been a long day, I'll look at Leslie and I'll say, I love this. I love those guys and I love those gals. Because there's something that is fulfilling in your purpose when you're able to invest back into somebody else. A young man came to me a few weeks ago and he said, Dr. Reggie, would you have a little time for me that we can meet like once a week? I said, you know what? I know there's a lot of time, there are a lot of things going on, but we'll do that. We'll make that happen. Because he's wanting to go into ministry. And he just wanted to come and talk to me and share with me and how fulfilling that is. I say to you that that is not just for a pastor and preacher. That should be for every individual that is in this place that we are looking for people that we can invest in and we are also looking for those who will invest in us. How do we make that investment? How do we receive that investment? Let me, let me just say first, time. What I said a moment ago, you got to take time. Did you notice this with Paul? Paul says, I want you to come and go with me. Paul didn't say, you stay here and I'll come back and I'll give you a, a, a brief seminar on all of the areas of discipleship and ministry. He didn't say that. He just said, I want you to come and I want you to go with me. I want you to spend time with me. <laughs> Could you imagine just spending a little time with the Apostle Paul? Seeing his life, seeing his work. Oh, there were the good times and there were the tough times. You don't believe me, just go back to last week's message on Acts 16 there in Philippi. They go in, they see people saved, which is a great thing. But before you know it, Paul and Silas are beaten and battered and they are placed in prison. And Timothy was there to witness that as well. So Tim, Timothy is able to witness the highs and the lows, the good, the bad, all of the things that Paul would endure. There was Timothy. And Timothy was with him for so much of his mission, so much of his work. I noted that traditionally Paul has been associated with writing 13 letters of our New Testament. The 10 earliest letters, Timothy is mentioned seven times out of those 10. Six of them, he is like the co-author of the letter with Paul. So Timothy's there with him. And then, of course, the last three letters that Paul will write, two of them will be directed direct to Timothy himself. Timothy was there with him. I'm convinced that one of the main ways of discipleship in our lives is, is basically just spending time, just having relationships, just seeing discipleship take place. How, how did Jesus disciple his, his apostles, those that he had called? How did he do that? They just spent time with him. Now, I'm all for, I'm all for discipleship classes. I'm all for seminars. I'm all for that. But there's nothing like just spending time with somebody else that is a, an age believer. 
who can invest in you and invest in me. Paul was investing. The time was there. He took time for Timothy. He rubbed souls with him. And I say to you, we've got to take time for people. I know we're busy. I know. I said this last week when I was doing a funeral that that's one of the things I'm looking forward to in eternity is not being rushed. I, I'm, I, seriously. I'm looking forward to eternity when I can just like sit down and just like share with people. Relational. Sometimes I want to see this one and I want to see that one and I want to see this one. You, you know what it's like? You got a list like I need to go see these people. Uh, Karen has a little list on her desk. It's a blue list. These are the people I need to visit. I'll come in, I'll write it down, I'll say I need to go see these people. And then the week will get by and what? I haven't gotten by to see them. Frustrating. <laughs> Eternity, we're not going to have those frustrations. We'll have all the time in the world. But here we've got to be intentional. We've got to say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen. We're going to invest in this individual. It is going to be intentional. Come along with me. Time. Teaching. If you're going to invest in somebody else, teach them. Teach them. Paul was teaching Timothy. All the time, it says that it, as, as they were going around, that Paul specifically was telling them what the elders at Jerusalem had decided. In other words, he was telling them the true gospel, that the gospel was the good news of Jesus and that you came to salvation through faith alone. That, he was teaching them the gospel. And he was sharing with them, obviously, the truths of Scripture. Mentoring, biblical mentoring, should always be gospel-centered, truth-centered. Do you know where that word mentor came from, by the way? Some of you do. It was from Homer's Odyssey. And when Ulysses leaves, he entrusts his son to a guy named Mentor to teach. Give over. Hey, I need you to watch over him. Take and mentoring took on that kind of concept. And mentoring can involve all kinds of things. It can involve uh, things like sports. And I am grateful that in the gathering this morning, I believe we have the All-Star 12U team that's there. Proud that they're there. A coach is investing in them. They're teaching them. So you mentor. You, you could do that in sports. You, you could do it in other areas that are not necessarily spiritual. Hunting, for example. Like Mike Stone, how have I mentored you in rabbit hunting? It's happened? Yes. You're a good man, wonderful law enforcement, but he can't rabbit hunt. But now I'm working on him and I'm helping there are all kinds of ways that you could mentor an individual. But biblical mentoring is teaching them the gospel and the implications of the good news of Jesus Christ to their everyday lives. That's what Paul was doing to Timothy. It was gospel Christ-centered. And this is what Paul will say later on. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what Paul says, I taught you. 
This is the way I mentored you. I taught you. I gave you those basic things of the gospel and the scripture. And, he's, and he says, now you take that and you invest it. I think uh, Timothy might have been around 35 to 37 when Paul wrote that note. So some 16, 17 years later, he says, I want you to turn around and invest in others. Teach them. Teach them the good news. Teach them the convictions. The convictions that Timothy had. Later on in 2 Timothy, Paul would say, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, you've been taught. You know the truth. You know the Scripture. If there has been any day in the life of our nation when you and I need to invest the Scripture and the convictions of God into our younger generations, it is now. There need to be some spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers who step up and say, hey, this is the truth. And it be a conviction in their lives. John Wolverd, who was the teacher or president of Dallas Theological Seminary from, I think, uh, somewhere in the 50s, even to the 80s. He made a statement one time. He said, I fear that we may be graduating students with too many beliefs and not enough convictions. Folks, we need to be transferring convictions, our convictions, to those who are coming after us, just like Paul did to Timothy. What are convictions? Dr. Ronald Meeks used to tell us, convictions are not things we hold. Convictions are things that hold us. It is the truth that grips our souls, grips our lives, that will not let go of us, and we cannot thus let go of it. We need to be teaching. And then we need to be training. Some of you say, well, how do you train? I mean, you train by teaching. When I, when I speak of training, I'm talking more of challenge and cheering, of challenging them and cheering them. Paul, when I look at his letters to Timothy, what does he do? He challenges Timothy. He tells him to preach the word. He tells him to endure hardships. He, I mean, he, he challenges him. And it's great to have people in our lives that will challenge us. I've always believed, always said, you need people in your life that will fear God more than they fear you. So that they'll speak truth in your life. They're not worried about what you think. They just speak for the Lord in your life and you receive it that way. They will challenge you. Oh, Paul had that type of relationship with Timothy. But he also cheered him on. He also cheered him on. Look, look at those epistles that are written to Timothy. And it is like, hey, keep going. Uh, that, that gift that is in you, stir that gift up. Allow the Holy Spirit to work it. Keep going. Aren't you proud you got some cheerleaders out there? It's good to have some cheerleaders. Older individuals who look at us and say, keep going. Hey, you, you're doing good on that. You're doing well. You keep going. I said to you that there are several in my life that have played key roles, perhaps none more than a guy named Dr. Ronald Meeks. 
I went to Blue Mountain College after a rough start to my college experience. I transferred into Blue Mountain after a year, went to summer school to catch up because I had missed a semester. And um, I went and I sat in a class called Intro to Baptist Life. Dr. Ronald Meeks was the professor. First time I'd ever had him. About a week into the semester, uh, Dr. Meeks came to me and said, Hey, Reggie, would you mind coming to my office so I could talk to you? And I thought, Oh, my goodness, what have I done? I have broken something theologically. I have written something I should not have. Or maybe there's something else that's there. Maybe he... Oh, I don't know. I went into his office. He said, hey, Reggie, what size are you? I said, what? <laughs> he said, what, what size clothes do you wear? Like, well, I'll tell you, back then, I was about 40 pounds lighter. Marriage agreed with me. When I was younger, uh, they were concerned I wouldn't eat enough. Seriously, they would take me to the doctor, my mom, my grandmama. The doctor always said, He'll eat when he gets hungry. So about the age of 21, 22, I got hungry and I started eating. <laughs> I haven't really stopped yet. But I told him what size. He said, I thought so. He said, you know, he said, you're the same size that I was when I was at Blue Mountain College. And all of a sudden, he brought about five suits out. And he said, if you'd wear these suits, I'd give you these suits. I said, Dr. Meeks, I'll wear these suits. Every time I preach, I I put my suit on. I, st I still think have one if Leslie hadn't given that one away too, you know, but that simple act of help brought me into his circle, into a relationship with him. He taught me, obviously. I mean, he was a professor. I had him for a bunch of classes. But he also was one who was there who would cheer and challenge my last year at Blue Mountain, I had gotten married. I had taken on a pastorate. I allowed some of the professors to talk me into taking a bigger load than I should have because I'm a yes person. Blue Mountain College, small classes, they need so many to make it work, so they would always seem to come to me. So I took 20 hours in the fall after just getting married and after just starting my pastor, my first pastor. One day, Dr. Meeks looked at me and he said, Reggie, I need to see you out in the hall. I said, oh, here I go again. Can't do anything right. Dr. Meeks looked at me and he said, Reggie, are you okay? I said, what you mean, Dr. Meeks? He said, I don't, I don't see that. Don't see that, that twinkle in your eye. The smile on your face. You sure you're doing okay? And then, of course, oh, I'm sorry. Dr. Meeks, I'm sorry. I'm trying to do the best I can. I can't seem to. It was quite an episode. It was more than he ever bargained for, I tell you that. <laughs> he was kind of like, look, can we move this into my office? Can we get. <laughs> i never forget that, though. You know why? Because someone who invest in you who takes some, some concern. Just like Paul to Timothy, again, they can recognize those things in you and they're there to encourage you and to cheer you and to challenge you. 
Folks, you need people like this. You need people that will invest in your lives. Hey, the last, the last letter that Paul ever writes is to Timothy, right? He's in a dungeon. And somehow he musters up the strength to write to his true beloved son, to Timothy. And all you ought to go read it again because the tenderness, the emotion just explodes off of the page as he communicates one more time his love and his encouragement to Timothy for all those years they'd had that relationship. Oh, I don't know what Timothy must have thought. I think he must have shed many tears when he got to that part where Paul said that he was already being spent. He was already being poured out as a drink offering. And I believe Timothy tried to get to that dungeon as quickly as possible to see Paul. We don't know if he did or if he didn't. But what a relationship. Folks, it would be a poor life for you to go all throughout your earthly existence and never let anybody else in in who you are, in your inner being, in your inner circle. How pitiful it would be for you to go all through your life and never really open up and share your life with others. Robert Lewis, the old Rustin grad, he said, if you want to be happy for an hour, you take a nap. You want to be happy for a day, you go fishing. You want to be happy for a year, inherit Inherit a fortune. But if you want to be happy for a lifetime, you invest your life in others. Those of you who are younger, do you have somebody investing in you? If you do, maybe family member, maybe church member. Hey, if you do, won't you say today, thank you to that individual. Text them, call them, if you can see them face to face, that's, that's awesome. Just tell them thank you. If you don't, go to them. Go to somebody that you respect and say, hey, could, I, could, could we start having coffee together? Could we start maybe meeting together every now and then? I'd just like to talk to you and pick your brain about things. Those of you who are older, be open to what God wants to do in your life to invest in others. When those people come to you, you say yes. And you know what? Maybe what you need to do is look today and say, let me see. There's somebody around here. There's somebody around here I could talk to. There's somebody around here, a younger person, that I could invest my life in. Because God wants us to invest our lives in others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for those people who have impacted our lives. Thank you for those who have made a difference. Thank you for our earthly fathers and mothers. Thank you for our spiritual fathers and mothers. And God, I, I pray today that you would challenge us 
that we would build those kinds of relationships even here within this church, within this context. Thank you for what's already going on. Some of our ladies and some of the things that are happening there, some of the guys through the Bible studies. And, but Father, I pray that you would just expand our investment each and every day. God, thank you for this morning of worship that we've had. And now we pray, Lord, that you would call us to be grateful, that you would call us to be proactive, that you would call us to be your disciples as we disciple others. And speak to us during this invitation. In Jesus' name.